When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Fenway Rundown. Chris Cotillo, my co-host, remains on vacation, so I fly solo, but in just a minute we'll be joined this week by Jim Duquette, former Major League General Manager with both the Orioles and Mets and an analyst now with uh, MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM and a contributor to both Masson in Baltimore and SNY in New York, uh, a uh, native of Massachusetts, along with his cousin Dan uh, from Dalton, Massachusetts. So we look forward to talking to Jim in just one minute and a reminder that we have our Red Sox Insider Text Program that we invite you to join. It's an opportunity to stay current on all the Red Sox news of uh, the offseason right into spring training and throughout the regular season. You can text with me, with Chris Cotillo, with Chris Smith, and get all the answers that you need if you're following the Red Sox. And all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617 617- 751-6257, and then click the link to subscribe. You get a 14-day trial period, and it's just $4.99 per month after that. We'll be doing a mailbag episode later this week that includes questions from the Insider Text Program, so join us and uh, take part. It's a Wednesday edition of the Fenway Rundown. As we noted, Chris Cotillo's on vacation, so I'm flying solo, but with the uh, help today of proud son of Western Mass, uh, former Mets and Orioles GM. And if you live in the Northeast, uh, you could hardly avoid him on media, not that you should be trying to do so. <laughs> MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM with appearances on SNY in New York and Masson in Baltimore. We're thrilled to have Jim Duquette join us today. Jim, how are you? Thanks for joining Good. us. Yeah, good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me. I'm always looking forward to uh, having a conversation with another uh, Bostonian, even though I'm not really considered a Bostonian. I, I can play that part today. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you join the club. Uh, no no entrance you. fee. Uh, Jim, you and I were just talking before we got going and talking about what a strange and mostly inactive 
off season it's been so far it's kind of been all or nothing right you get the biggest contract in the history of the game with Shohei Otani you have a mega deal with Juan Soto changing teams from the Padres to the Yankees a few free agent signings but not a lot it it has been even by recent baseball standards it has been very slow this winter yeah it's unfortunate right I, I think especially since we were in Nashville um there at the winter meetings and you're hoping that all of this uh you know this uh signings and and information that you hear prior to that it's going to lead to a bunch of action there we i mean we as an industry spend millions of dollars to fly media members in there we fly the whole front offices in there i mean i i talked to teams that had 40 people there 50 people there and you know they treat it like an org organization meeting and then we got I mean, very, very little action. Thankfully, Otani, you know, signed a week after that, but we had the Juan Soto trade at the end of it um, when everybody was flying home. And, and it, I, you know, listen, we always talk about, you know, missed opportunities. That's a missed opportunity for the sport, right? But, um, and, and it also brings up calls for maybe having a window, a uh, signing window like you have in other sports to maybe we should have this signing window, you know, up until, you know, whatever the holidays and then put a break um, on it for a little bit. None of that's going to happen right now. It just, it just speaks to how slow it's been. And like you said, with Yamamoto, that's the one that's holding everything up. If you didn't sign one of those uh, starters to a one-year deal or a two-year deal, you know, the, the Jack Flaherty's Seth Lugo has got, got three years as we know, and Michael Waka got two, um, you know, so it's kind of been a bottom up, we'll call it bottom up sightings, you know, from the starting pitching side outside of that. Um, yeah. It's jammed up the rest of the market and everyone's kind of sitting around waiting for these guys to sign. So that uh, if they don't get Yamamoto or like they didn't get Otani, they can figure out what their next course of action is. Why have we, arrived at this point, Jim, what, I mean, when you were uh, a GM, um, you know, the winter meetings were bustling. There would be uh, dozens of free agent signings, some good sized trades. And every year it seems to go slower and slower. P some people yeah. have suggested, I mean, you'd look at how the NBA, the NHL, the NFL free agency starts and it, it's craziness and 80% of the big names are off the board in the first six hours. It's essentially done 72 hours in. Is the lack of a, not that I'm advocating for this, but is the lack of a salary cap a, a driver here where teams don't feel any urgency? Well, we've only got so much to spend and there's only so many spots we got to move now. Why have we gotten to this point where the, where the offseason is so slow moving? Yeah, I, I think that that's part of it, you know, is because the sport doesn't have a salary cap, the out of the gate asks from the agents or from the player side seem to be a lot higher than what you would ordinarily think is appropriate to pay. And so, you know, from the GM side, you're like, well, I need to I need to wait this market out. The only time you get lower prices is if you're wait, and we've seen that almost historically with a few exceptions, if you wait until January or February, the prices come down, players start to get antsy about what team they're going to be with. And the agents feel the pressure from the families. Hey, where am I going to be? So, so there's that kind of pressure that, that has happened over time where teams were willing to just wait it out. And they're like, listen, if I don't get this player, there's another player that is similar, maybe not that far off. We can pay him less money if we're just willing to wait. So I think that's a part of it. You know, the salary cap issue, 
as you mentioned. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, too, the, you know, in some ways, the bar to get into the postseason now is lower, too. Um, you know, we saw Arizona get in with 84 wins. They get all the way to the World Series. And so your team doesn't have to be all that strong. You don't have to spend all of your money in the winter times. You know, if you win the winter, that doesn't mean, you know, the winter signing period doesn't mean anything when it comes to the wins and losses. So I think it's probably some of that too. Um, as, as the calendar turns over to the next year, you look at your roster and you go, ah, you know what, this option that we have internally is not, not so bad versus, you know, paying the extra million bucks on the, on the free agent market. So I think it's like all of those things kind of combined in my opinion. What about the influence of analytics where, you know, uh, 25 years ago, uh, everyone had their own perspective. You have scouts, they differ on evaluations of players. Now, so much is data driven. Everybody yeah. is essentially seeing the same numbers. They're not proprietary anymore. Nobody has a secret magical formula that the other 29 teams don't have. Is the reliance on analytics as the primary evaluation goal also slowing things down? I, I think there's something to that, too. You know, they they see things similarly in terms of the valuations. You know, I think that that is a lot to, um, you know, when, when you start to look at how teams value uh, one win above replacement, right? We, you hear, you know, wins above replacements, the, the, the new term that, um, I don't know if it replaced on base percentage when I was in there in the front office, but it, it certainly feels that way. But, you know, it's more, you know, you can start to put values on what, you know, a contribution is and how you value it. And a lot of teams kind of use that as a barometer to, to, to spend. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that has something to do with it. Listen, I'm not a bet. I'm not a basher of analytics. I think it's, uh, even though we've seen a lot of the similar thinking, like even in the amateur draft, used to see a real big separation of evaluations in the first couple of rounds. You know, if you, if you ranked a hundred players, when I was uh, my last year as GM with the Orioles in 07, after a hundred players on our board ranked, that would get us usually through the fourth round, you know, the fifth round of the draft. And, and then you're like, okay, now you're going to go by position. And now if you have a hundred players ranked, you might see that might get you through rounds two or three and what I mean this is an expanded uh, draft now where you have more picks between first and second round and all that. so so they're going off the board quicker because of the uh, of the analytics and the similarities and the evaluation so yeah I think that there's a factor in the draft I think it's factored into the free agent signing um, I think it's factored into trades too which makes the trade market sometimes, you know, you're like, man, it's going to be an active trade market. And then you see kind of a dud trip, dud deadline in July. And I think it's because of that too. Um, it, as you noted, Jim, it wasn't that long ago that you were in the front office making these kind of calls. Um, we, we now have a player making 700 million. We know that some of that's deferred. That's not present day value, but uh, looking back to your career, what was the biggest deal you gave out to a free agent? I'm guessing it was a, a tiny sliver of a percentage yeah. of that kind of deal. And is this, is Otani's deal good or bad for the industry? Yeah. So while well, the biggest deal, so I was this assistant. So 
when Omar Minaya took over for me, this is 05, we signed Car uh, Carlos Beltran. That's a big deal at the time. It was about, I think it ended up being about $119 million. We deferred compensation, so the present value was less. By the way, Scott Boris never uh, never talked about present value versus uh, you know the future value uh, on that contract. Um, he he took the highest number. He was bashing the Otani number. Uh, it's still seven hundred, you know, and, and you can promote it that way. Um, but but you know, so I I think that um, you know that number at the time was one of the he was uh, Beltran was one of the highest paid players in the sport that particular year. Um, and but you can see where the number. I mean, listen, I always feel like Trout's number was the one you had to match it, right? So if you were better than Trout, no one was at the time. Right. So that was a four twenty two, I think he was, or four twenty six uh, million, and he wasn't a free agent too. So with Otani going so far uh, north of that, I think because of the two way abilities, and I know there's question marks with the pitching. I feel like that's still going to be an anomaly. That's seven hundred million. I mean, you know, and his international appeal and all the things that come with it. Um, I can't imagine, you know, first off, another two-way player coming along like him. You know, it's going to be, you know, for, you know, a long time. I think I said it at the time. I feel like this is a uh, not just a generational player. He might be a lifetime player. We might only see. You no, know, the last one we saw was Babe Ruth. Now we have Otani. You and I may, are not going to be around for the time next time we get a, a quality two-way player. That's the way I view it. What What about the um, you know the notion that uh, there were you know only a handful of teams uh, in on the bidding, whether it be the Giants, the Blue Jays, maybe the Cubs a little bit. Um, <clears throat> you know the stratification of the free agent yeah. class where. Uh, unlike other sports, you don't have more teams in on the big names. Uh, it, it, does that continue to be an issue for the industry? I think I think Major League Baseball has to keep a close eye on it. You know, there there's always examples that we'll all point to. Major League Baseball will point to like Tampa in particular, year in and year out. They have one of the lowest payrolls. You know, Cleveland has been pretty darn uh, consistent in winning the division. You know, they've run a pretty low payroll. If you look at what the Orioles did, they were in the bottom five in payroll and they had 100 wins. So there's going to be exceptions. And I think there's that, you know, going back to the you know pressure of, of uh, you know, evaluating. If you do a good job in evaluating in the draft, you can, you know, you can stay relevant and stay competitive over a period of time. But there's that turnover at some point where you have to break it back down versus the, the bigger markets like in Boston and New York's and Philly and LA and Chicago, where, where you can outspend your mistakes, uh, which, which um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of personally. Um, and, you know, and that, that, that really that separation between the haves and the have nots, that conversation comes up a lot um, even now. So, you know, I, I feel like still the, the way the postseason is, um, you know, when you get in, you know, Arizona had a low payroll. Like, like there are there are whether it's by design or not, some remedies you know, that you don't have to run up that big payroll. And it's kind of, I know that the large market clubs don't like it, but when the big when the big guys lose in the first round and they've won a hundred games after it's being set up, you know, there's that evenness, the even playing field that comes with the postseason. That I think at least for now, has mitigated that call for, um, you know, a salary cap. Or what, but I think it's coming. Like, there's owners that are, as you know, as far as we've been in the sport, 
owners called for the salary cap. Remember back a couple of times when we had player strikes, a big sticking point. I think it might have been in the early 90s, 94, Jerry. I, yeah, the 94-95 strike was really yeah. all about the cap. It was all about the cap, right? And, and and so now we're like, oh, we'll never have a cap. We'll never have a cap. And now it starts every once in a while it creeps up. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have you know some conversations along along that here in the not so distant future. A minute or so ago, Jim, you grouped the Red Sox with a bunch of big market teams. I think there are probably people listening to this podcast questioning whether yeah. the Red Sox belong in that group anymore. Yeah. They have been quiet. So far this offseason, their payroll has gone down the last couple of years. Um, there is a, uh, as I'm sure you know, living uh, with, with ties to New England and doing a lot yeah. of work in New York, you hear the talk. Fans are frustrated beyond belief about the lack of action on the part of the Red Sox. What are you hearing and how do you view them uh, in the industry now? Yeah. I mean, those are all, all good ones. Right. So, so, you know, unfortunately, you know, when, you know, and I don't want to take away from Craig Breslow, I think he's going to be a good general manager. Um, it is a growing period as we all know, uh, even when I went through it first time GM. Um, so he's going to go through that there. Uh, but you know, with the Red Sox, I mean, we know the, you know, the fan base, the rabbit fan base, when, that, when they're invested in the team, they like the team, they show up at the, at the ballpark, they're watching it on, Ness and they're 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 supporting it in all on all phases. And if they don't like your team, they let you know it. You know you know it, and you know it from an, which I, you have to appreciate if you're, um, you know, in the front office. But I'm not so sure the ownership has been paying attention uh, to what's going on there. They are now, but over a period of time, I think there was a little bit of a of a neglect, or maybe they were looking at it from a more of a business side of things than they were. You know the old uh, altruistic uh, side of things, like Bud Selig used to call the the, the the teams, you know, public trust, right? I don't know if they were quite, maybe they lost their uh, their pathway there for a bit, because um, it wasn't that long ago they had the highest payroll, right? I mean, eighteen worlds, uh, eighteen, nineteen, they were both, they were number one in the sport, right? So it was only four years ago, but as we know in, in baseball, one year in Boston or New York's like a dog year, right? Like it's, it's a long, it's a long year. And, and so I think the fans putting pressure on ownership to spend money is a good thing, but now they got to still be the highest bidder in some of these. And they haven't been, you know, outside of keep endeavors around. And that's my biggest concern is they're, they're almost turning like the San Francisco giants right now. The giants have been trying to get star players. They're not, you know, it looks like they're willing to spend the money. That's the, that is a difference between San Francisco and Boston. Like they're not they're not showing restraint like Boston has, and they're still not coming. So it's it's hard to 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 sign star players, and I think that's the thing that maybe uh, the Boston ownership's overlooking. Yeah, and and I think you point out that um, you run the risk when when you don't get grouped in with those big market teams: Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, that level. After a while, people stop thinking of you in those terms, and you've got to kind of make up ground. It used to be, and it wasn't that long ago, that if a top player became available either via trade or on the free agent market, people naturally expected the Red Sox to be players, whether it was A-Rod or Manny or Pedro or, you know, they were star-driven. Now, mm -hmm. Soto comes up, Red Sox are not in it. 
Uh, Otani comes up. Red Sox are not involved. They're trying yeah. to be involved on Yamamoto. How successful that's going to be, we're about to find out. But they seem to be more of a long shot behind the Mets, Yankees, and Dodgers. I, I think after a while, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're not involved with the big names, people stop thinking of you in that way. I, I think it's a good point. And I do think that it has a ripple effect, you know, being fair, like this winter when they were looking for new GMs, um, there were a lot of them that did that turned down the opportunity to even interview there. And, you know, that again, I can't remember the last period of time, you know, there might've been one candidate that said, no, it's not great. It's not right for me uh, family wise, but you're talking about homegrown executives like Brandon Gomes and Sam Fold that would with New England with New England ties with New England ties. All right, like, Sam Fold's from New Hampshire. Uh, right. Brandon Gomes is from Fall River. I mean, those would have been natural, uh, you know, connections that would yeah. have only solidified their interest. Instead, it didn't seem to matter. Right, and, and I would go back to my cousin when he, like he, when he took over there in Boston. He had to go to his owner and beg to get out of his contract to be the general manager of his hometown team. Like he could not wait to basically bash down the door and say, listen, this is such an unusual situation. I want to run Boston, the Red Sox. And that was, you know, and obviously that was even before they won the World Series. So it has changed over that period of time, unfortunately. And, they, you know, I think that you do run that fear and, and you know, they can change it over, you know, over a year or two. But it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, before you can, you know, before Boston becomes a destination spot again. So, um, it, it, you know, in, in our sport, it changes quickly. And I think we've seen that definitely in Boston. Uh, there, there's a long way to go still this offseason. A lot can still happen. But. Given where things are, and obviously Yamamoto could tip the scale one way or the other in the coming days or weeks, uh, the AL East is a competitive division. Uh, three playoff teams each of the last couple of years, four teams with winning records uh, last season. Um, give us your overview of the division as it stands now, again, allowing for the fact that a lot can happen between now and opening day. Well, it it it's going to be competitive again. Like, I, I don't think there's any doubt. We know um, the teams are going to spend money. Like all of a sudden the Yankees have a, a year where they don't get in the postseason, And this is, they're acting the way we, we all want Boston to act, which is they're all, they're all in on Soto. They're all in on Yamamoto. They're, they're spending money. They're going to run the payroll up. Toronto uh, was a finalist for Otani. Now they're showing a little bit of restraint. It seems, even though they need offense, but, they're going to get better. Uh, we know that there's a lot of pressure up there since they haven't won a postseason game the last two seasons, but they've still been in the postseason two years in a row. We know how good Baltimore is. We just watched that. Yeah, it was a first round exit, but you know they're they're going to be a force in the division over the next few years. Tampa, it looks like they're going to be. You know, they've had a ton of injuries. They've overcome them. You know, they always have payroll restrictions, but they figure out a way. You know, and then you have Boston, you know, and we don't talk about Boston like we do the other four teams. That's the truth um, until they start, um, you know, bringing in more talent or spending more money. And, um, you know, so I, I really feel like there is another, you know, those four teams right now look like they're going to you know, be knocking each other uh, around and, and competing for, you know, the one, two and three and four spot. And if Boston doesn't 
start doing some things, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of people like myself picking him to finish last in the division. And it hurts. It hurts me to do it because I want to see Boston up there. But I mean, that's the truth of the matter. As we noted, Jim, you do a lot of work uh, in New York for SNY. Uh, This is a unique uh, scenario unfolding where you have the Mets and Yankees uh, dueling checkbooks here for Yamamoto. They're not the only two. The Dodgers remain very much involved. The Giants, perhaps to a lesser degree, we mentioned the Red Sox. But this is really Hal Steinbrenner versus Steve Cohen for the first time. And it's not often that these two teams have focused in on the same free agent. Uh, What's that like in New York? And uh, where do you see this uh, outcome uh, being with Yamamoto being the object of both the Mets and Yankees desire? Yeah, it's such a unique situation because when I was I was 15 years with the Mets and during that period of time, anytime we felt like the Yankees were pursuing a, a free agent, we tended to back off. You know, Hideki Matsui uh, was Mike Mussina, A-Rod, you know, like all those were out of the gate ones that we were, you know, I know Boston was in on Bernie Williams. We stayed away from Bernie Williams. You know, when we were pursuing uh, Beltron, we were thankful Yank- the Yankees weren't really involved. We went after Kaz Matsui. You know, all, you know, we didn't like doing trades with them with the, with the Yankees either across town because if it if it didn't work out, then you you know it, it had a, a, a factor X factor of like well, multiple ten uh, how, the embarrassment you had to listen to from your fan base. So we didn't like doing business that way. Um, similarly to, you know, the Yankee Red Sox rivalry where you're like, ah, I don't want, I'm not trading, <laughs> I'm not trading a player to that, to that team. You just, you just, it's that team. It's not the Yankees. It's that team. Right. So, so I think, you know, now to see this, um, it's so unusual and Steve Cohen's going to throw whatever money he needs to, but it still may not come down to the most money. I mean, it might be one of those where Yamamoto feels like, you know what? Uh, Tanaka was one of his favorite, you know, uh, uh, was idols growing up. You know, if the money's close, he may just sign with New York. He's got the pull of you know, Otani um, in LA. Then that recruitment, you got Kodai Senga with the Mets, who they're supposedly friends with. Like, I, I don't know how to handicap it, but it seems like those are the three finalists. And, you know, listen, Yoshida he, and he are close too, apparently, you know, so. I just don't know though if Boston's going to be willing to go to the numbers that that it's going to take to 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 sign him. Jim, we want to thank you for your time today and uh, uh, your insight into things going on in the game and the Red Sox in particular. Hope that you have a terrific holiday season coming up and look forward to seeing you at the ballpark soon. Yep, same. Thanks for having me on, John. I appreciate it. Jim Duquette, thank you. And a reminder that we have our Red Sox Insider text program that we invite you to join. It's an opportunity to stay current on all the Red Sox news of uh, the offseason right into spring training and throughout the regular season. You can text with me, with Chris Cotillo, with Chris Smith, and get all the answers that you need if you're following the Red Sox. And all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617 751-6257 and then click the link to subscribe you get a 14-day trial period and it's just $4.99 per month after that we'll be doing a mailbag episode later this week that includes questions from the insider text program so join us and uh, take part 
This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.